two pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. Welcome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Do we have an episode for you today? We sure do. We are going to talk about Mandragora. Yeah. The myth, the magic. Or better known as Mandrake. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Ma- much cuter. Mandragora? Mandragora. Yeah. Uh, that's my next D&D character. <laughs> what a cool name for like a warlock. Such a cool name for a warlock, dude. Or even like the deity that you're uh, like assigned to, that you that you pray to, Mandragora. Yeah. <laughs> Into it. That would be really awesome. <laughs> But yeah, we're going to talk all about Mandrake on this episode, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It was a really fun reading episode this week. Like a lot of a lot of cool articles and interesting books. Yeah, tons of stuff on it actually. But before we get into that, as always, Lindsay, how was your week? My week was good. I got to play a little bit uh, more of uh, at my uh, new favorite game, <laughs> thanks to Ronnie Drake Hollow, which is part of the reason why we are recording this episode because we really love the little mandrakes little right mandrakes. now. <laughs> uh, and it was also like a pretty drunk week for me too. <laughs> I drank a lot this week, so I'm on my like third day of hangover now, Oof. but I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Nice. Uh, I'm healing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get you there. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, to this, probably the surprise of no one, if you had a drinky week, I also ended up having a drinky (laughs) week. Uh, It was an oddly social week. I left the house for the first time in damn near three weeks, and that was cool. Uh, (laughs) That was, it was, it was fun. It was nice to be out and about in Cambridge and Somerville for a little bit. Uh, then remind myself that, you know, the world won't kill me if I leave the, <laughs> if I leave the yard <laughs> for a few hours. Um, but all, yeah, oddly, a, a nice little social week full of, full of friends and beverages and fire pits. And we are going to start a brand new D&D game tomorrow. So I've been super looking forward to that all week and spent a lot of my week thinking about my new character, Sarah Rook, and who she is and what she likes and, more importantly, what she doesn't like and what does she look like and all of those things. So I still need to think about what my character really looks like. And you'll be playing? Petal. Who Petal is. <laughs> is a Goliath barbarian. Yeah. Petal's gonna kick some fucking ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this will be fantastic. I'm sure we'll tell all of our listeners about it as we go along. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's been most of my week is thinking about my new D and D character. <laughs> <laughs> it's so exciting. And what's really exciting to me is that it's an all lady game. It is. <laughs> All-lady player game, I should say. Right, right. Which is going to be wonderful and magical and definitely something different. I think it'll be really cool. For sure, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to, to see how that dynamic plays out. I think it's going to be fun. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Engineer Dan, how was your week? My week was fantastic. Thank you for asking. Appreciate that. I am the dungeon master of this all-lady group, and yeah, I am yeah. decidedly not a lady. <laughs> and I'm not apologizing for being not a lady. I'm just really excited because I run games for all different 
gender associations and types of folks, and I just think that the dynamic for Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, is just going to be, I got some badass fucking biddies rolling into my backyard, fire pit, socially distanced D&D. It's going to be great. Yeah. I love, though, that we decided to play this, like, outdoor game throughout the winter because it'll be cold and snowy. And last week when we recorded, we were in, like, winter coats and hot tea. <laughs> and today it's, like, 65 and we're in T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's actually, I think it's in the 70s today. Oh, Jesus. It's crazy. <laughs> Much and the same tomorrow. I know. Yeah. Which is Into both it. great and, like, at the same time, I'm like, I kind of wanted it to be bitter cold for our first session. Well, you know, the sun will go down. It'll probably It'll get, get there. a little chilly. Yeah, for sure. And Dan, I've got to say, you may not be a lady, but you are indeed a pussy. I praise. I've gotten that on a few times. I'm never tired of hearing it. Please. Thank you. Love it. I am a proud pussy. Uh, well, before we settled in to record this episode... I believe you shared, Dan, that you did a little reading this morning, and you've got a little cat article you wanted to share with us. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do it for the podcast, but I did, it came across my news sources that I was like, I would like to read that article, and it was talking about um, the popular opinion of, amongst veterinarians and those that study the social sciences of the house cat, what it means when they do stuff. Ooh. And I'm going to go ahead and... And let you guys know that it, it was it was it was a little clickbaity, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but it didn't make any bold declarations that I don't that you couldn't like go down a rabbit hole and be like, yeah, that that, that tracks. That that is actually what we believe a cat is saying when they do X. But take it with a grain of salt. It was definitely a fun read over my cup of coffee. For instance, has your cat ever put its butt in your face? All the time. <laughs> so it turns out that according to popular opinion amongst veterinarians and those that study the sociology of the f- a feline, the, of the house cat, that is actually a, a huge sign of trust and that they are, they, they are essentially letting you know that they feel incredibly comfortable around you. <laughs> Here's my butthole. <laughs> That's pretty cute. <laughs> now, one of the well, another one because it's, it's a long list, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But another one that really excited me was, "What does your cat headbutting you mean?" Ooh. Because my cat, one of we, we have, <laughs> we've got dog, and dog we'll get to in a minute in this household. And I know Lindsay, you've got Terry and Mister. Yeah. Uh, we've got Kenway over here, little dude, and he is an adamant headbutter. So I was he very really curious. <laughs> I hope what? it means go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> that's not what I think it means, but I, I just think it would be funny. You hope that Kenway is constantly telling me to go fuck myself. Well, I just think it would be funny because I don't <laughs> think that's what it means. But I anyway, I thought it would be funny if, the, if that's the, what it actually meant. He, the headbutting uh, behavioral pattern is believed by popular opinion that the cat is not only... Uh, spreading their pheromones on you and claiming ownership, but also establishing that that they like you and they would like to interact with you now. (laughs) Okay, that's 100% what I would actually assume that it means because that is definitely what Kenway is doing when he, like, headbutts you. He wants to, like, because that's not all he wants to do. He does that until you, like, 
like pick him up or pet pet him or like look at him or something. But yeah. yeah. Now I've got a couple that I'm not trying to scare you, dear listener. But the, I've got a couple of warning sign behaviors that are pretty common in cats, including back to Kenway, his obsession with licking and or eating plastics. Oh, it is a it's actually a uh, a veterinarian term called pica, p i c a, and it is commonly associated with a cat trying to tell you that they have some sort of digestional issue. Oh, and that they are uncomfortable. And they're and it, it, it's pika it translates beyond plastic, but com- plastic is the common manifestation in that it transcends to they eat things that are not traditionally edible as a warning sign that they feel like there's something wrong with their digestive tract. I've seen that before in that it also can manifest with like like licking door frames or like obsessive licking of themselves or that sort of thing. I understand what Pika is and what it does truly mean. But for Kenway, I don't know. I got to say, personally, I think he does it because he likes the taste. <laughs> because he doesn't lick all plastics. He specifically like likes um, like the sort of crinkly cellophane plastics that makes a noise. And he likes tape. He does, like, if I brought home a normal plastic grocery bag, he doesn't lick it. But he does like if it's been outside... Like a, like an Amazon box, he's all he's he's. I'm showing up for that, right? Because I think it's the tape. It's he, specifically the glue on the. Ta- I think it's a bit of a glue licker. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so, me. <laughs> so, Lindsay, do you experience the licking of plastics in your household? Mister is a big plastic eater. He doesn't always swallow it, but he likes to sink his teeth into it. Certain plastics he will eat. Like he does like plastic grocery bags, uh, and he will eat them. And then he will barf them up. But uh, certain bags, if it's like a thicker plastic, he'll just chew it. He li- I think he likes the feeling on his teeth and he'll put holes in it, but he won't actually eat it. So, dear listener, uh, as scary as it sounds, because I feel like I've just described a behavior that all of our cats do, <laughs> that thing unto itself is not a, a reason to run to the vet. But if you combine it with this other thing that I'm about to talk about, then you have pause for concern. And that is the it's litter box behavior. Now, <laughs> obviously, if your cat starts going outside of the litter box, they're describing to you a problem. But if your cat stops burying their business with litter, then they're also letting you know that, that, that they are feeling anxious and they, they, they're not feeling very well. So if your cat is eating non-edible things not covering their litter, and going outside of the box. I believe we can all agree it is time to take your cat to the vet. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to end on a, on a super positive note? Yeah. With the cat, with the cat, saying, cat corner? Pause, and then you said positive, <laughs> and I, I just like keep seeing this like cat paw whapping my face. And, <laughs> and we're about to talk about cat paws wha- whapping your face and smushing into your body. <laughs> I was going to ask if there was one where, you know, a cat tries to put its foot in your mouth. (laughs) Uh, uh, Not not specifically that, but I guess you can correlate all the data to if your cat pushes their paws hard into you, like sort of like lays down and just like almost like they're trying to push away from you or smush into your body. What they're actually doing is demonstrating a comfort level that they experience as kittens. 
Because that's what they, they make biscuits when they're eating and they smush into the mama cat. And they're just simply letting you know that they feel a comfort with you, even though their actions might be rather uncomfortable (laughs) to you. Like they're just like mushing like under your rib cage or whatever they're doing. (laughs) They're not trying to be assholes. They're like just letting you know that like they 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 want they, they they enjoy your company. And they're happier around. And when when you're laying next to them in that capacity, they want they feel very safe, and would like to keep doing that for a while. Aww. Oh, that's nice, <laughs> sweetie pie. That's Cat Corner <laughs> with Engineer Dan. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> awesome. Well, maybe you've got a strange cat behavior. We're certainly not <laughs> veterinarians, but uh, you can always share your interesting strange cat behavior. Does your cat like to lick tape? Is it smooshing some biscuits on you? Is it headbutting you in the face in the middle of the night? Tell us, uh, tell us a little cat story. Share your cat story. If we, if we really enjoy it, maybe we'll ask your permission to share it on a future episode. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And how do you do that? Well, you can message us. You sure can. You can message us on the Instagram, 5C2PPod on the Instagram. Or you can send us an email, 5C2PPod at Gmail. Right? Absolutely. What else we got? That's all, that's, we got. Yeah, that's all we got. <laughs> we don't. We, we we don't do. We don't. We don't do the other things. We don't do the twitters and the whatnots. <laughs> I mean, maybe someday we'll have an actual like mailing address if people want to send us good old fashioned snail mail. But for now, Instagram and Gmail. We'd love to hear your stories. And just a friendly little reminder: give us a like, give us a follow. Um, you know, give us a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. All those things help other folks uh, find us and hopefully enjoy the episodes as well. And you know, gives us a nice little, nice little warm and fuzzy. But we'll be right back. Talk all about Mandragora. Yeah. See you soon, witches. <laughs> Welcome back. Hey, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We are going to talk about Mandrake. Yeah. And I always want to put root on there, but like in actuality, it's the whole plant. We're going to talk about lots of different things. Yeah. Uh, I that for sure want to preface with. We may not cover everything about Mandrake today, but we're going to cover a bunch. So strap in because (laughs) this is an incredibly old, incredibly powerful and fascinating plant. But let's start and talk about the plant itself a little bit first. Yeah, let's talk about that little baby. So Mandragora is the official Mandrake plant. And I am happy because I can say that one. What language is that in? I don't know. It's the botanical it like Latin, Latin shit. I don't oh, know. Okay. It's the same as with all the other Latin words I can't pronounce. It's the it's the family of plant it belongs to. I asked because yeah. there's like, in doing research for this episode, I came across this huge list of names that the plant is called ah. in other languages. Ah, huge fair. list. No, so. this is the, the genius of... The family of plant that it belongs to. Oh, okay. And I mentioned that because there are more than one type of mandrake. So you've got a couple of options and you got a couple of fakies. Oh. And so I want to talk a little bit about variety number one. That is Mandragora officinarium. Oh. 
or the official mandrake the official plant. <laughs> uh, this one is native to the Mediterranean. It is in the nightshade family. It is the one that has white flowers in the spring. So if you've never seen a mandrake, perhaps you've never seen a mandrake outside of Harry Potter. Or maybe you've <laughs> just never seen one before in general. And I guess I'm going to back up a hot second. A mandrake is a perennial herb. It is a herb. And uh, it has like wrinkly oak, uh, wrinkly oak leaves. No, it has wrinkly oval leaves um, that grow in a big circle close to the ground. Almost the way a mullein plant grows um, with its leaves that sort of spread out in a big circle. And it has this big, thick taproot that splits off into other, uh, like other little bits of roots. So a taproot is something like a carrot or a parsnip. It's a big, thick root that gets both longer and wider as it grows, and then it has little hairs that grow off of it. Oh. And so that's you know that's what the mandrake is, and it looks like a little man sometimes or a little person. <laughs> Because it's got like little limbs and extra little bits and it's bubbly and gnarly and weird looking. Uh, but it comes in these different varieties. And so this first one, the officianarum, uh, is special because it has white flowers in the spring. They grow up from a single stalk in the middle of the plant. And it's got like these little white flowers. It also thrives in dry and sandy soil. So oh. very Mediterranean-y. Now, the second type of official mandrake is the autumn mandrake or mandragora autumnalis. I can see this one too. <laughs> now the difference here is, as you might guess, it flowers in the fall. Wow. <laughs> but it has a couple of other differences. It has purple flowers. Oh. And when I googled and looked up images of mandrakes, almost all of them were with purple flowers. And I think it's because it just is visually more appealing. And so people tend to lean towards the one with purple flowers. This one also grows in moist soil. So same family variety, totally different adaptation as it became its own thing. Now there's also some fakies. So they're often referred to as mandrake, but they actually belong to entirely other like botanical families. They look like a mandrake, but they have nothing to do with it. And the first one is the American mandrake which has small white flowers, still grows in that big oval, still got that weird looking root on the bottom. Um, and it grows these small white flowers and it also produces these like little apple-like fruits. And this one is special because it is highly toxic, all of it. All, like all of it is fucking don't touch it. Ooh, you touch, you die? It's not good. <laughs> and then the second fakie is the English mandrake or literally called the false mandrake. Because it is actually a plant called a white byrony. Oh. And again, it kind of looks like a mandrake. It's close enough. But if you know what you're looking for, you can easily tell the difference. But it's close enough, especially when you're looking at only the root, that it's hard to tell the two roots apart. Kind of like the same way where you're like, I don't know, you might look at two different varieties of carrots and be like, I can't tell which one's this carrot, which one's that carrot. You know, they, it just becomes a white root at that point. But the ones that we're going to talk about in terms of their uses in magic and mythos and lore and medicine, we're going to stick to the officianarum and the autumnalis. Those are the two. When you see a spell or a, a reference to mandrake, that's what they're referencing unless they specifically say American mandrake or English mandrake. 
Coolio, dude. Yeah. Now, I was I was reading that between the two real mandrakes, people used to believe that there was a male and a female yes. mandrake. When really it was just one of those two. Right. But they were like, this is the male mandrake. This is the female mandrake. Right. But they were two like kind of different mandrakes. Yeah, there were just two varieties of mandrake. And they assigned gender to them because they looked different. And they... Yeah, they like they just didn't have the science to understand that not everything has or needs a male and female version. But yeah. the two different plants were harvested at different times. They bloomed at different times, and they were used for different purposes as well. So the the female mandrake plant was often used specifically for um, lore, magic, uh, folk medicine around fertility and around pregnancy. And oh. it was thought if you took a little a little piece and put it under your pillow, then it would increase your chances of getting pregnant. I did hear that. I totally heard that. There's a story about that, uh, kind of, in the Bible. Go on. <laughs> so, this is in Genesis. This is, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, right? Yes. It's been, it's been a while <laughs> since I have, you know, given myself the pleasure of reading the Bible. <laughs> But uh, so in Genesis, there's this dude, Jacob, right? And he has a couple of wives. So he has his first wife, Leah, who's the older one. And then he takes a second wife named Rachel, and she's the younger one. Now, Leah was a fertile fucking myrtle, dude. <laughs> she was. She had like four kids with him. And then, and then I guess she maybe got old and probably couldn't have kids anymore. Uh, but Rachel always wanted kids, and she had such a hard time bearing children. And she told Jacob this, and so Jacob spent all of his time with Rachel. Like, every night he would sleep with Rachel in their bed, because I guess they didn't, it wasn't like... Why sleep with her if you're not going to, like, try and get her pregnant? <laughs> yeah, like, the three of them didn't share the bed. The wives had their separate beds, and, and Jacob would always sleep with Rachel. So... One day, one of Leah's sons, he's like out in a field or whatever, and he finds some mandrakes and he brings them back and he's like, whoa, look at what I found. And, and Leah's like, oh, whoa, good job, son. Good job. And Rachel finds out and she knows that mandrakes are really good for fertility. So Rachel's like, hey, can I have those mandrakes? And Leah gets all kinds of pissed off. She's like, what the fuck, Rachel? She's like, you've already <laughs> taken my husband from me. Now you want my son's mandrakes? What the hell? So Rachel is like, listen up, Leah. How about this? How about you give me those mandrakes and I'll, I'll tell Jacob to sleep with you tonight. So Leah's like, all right, I can get down with that. Let's do that. Leah just wanted to get laid, man. I don't blame her. I mean, Jacob must have been some like real hot ticket for him to have two wives that really want to fuck him. You know? So so this all happens and and Rachel gets the mandrakes. Well, nothing really comes of Rachel getting these mandrakes, for a while at least. But Leah ends up having three more kids. Holy shit. Not at, not at the same time, but like over the course of years, I guess, has three more fucking kids. Eventually, though, years down the road, Rachel does give birth to Jacob's 11th son, Joseph. Yeah. So maybe, you know, it took a while for all of that fertil fertility 
and magic to take hold, but it's it been happened. a while since I've read the Bible as well. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that that 11th son, Joseph, goes on to be a big, hairy deal. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think he was like the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he was born from a woman who had such a fucking hard time conceiving that yeah. they just made him this big, hairy, special deal. Yeah. All about that mandrake. Hairy guys are always made such a big deal out of. <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from fertility, there's a lot of different and interesting uses, but I want to take uh, a quick second here and talk a little bit about uh, you know, where where it's gathered, how it's gathered. Because a lot of stories spurn from that, and I think a lot of them made its way into popular culture, uh, like Shrieking Mandrakes. I've heard of Shrieking Mandrakes. And what more big business popular culture is there than the Screaming Mandrakes in Chamber of Secrets? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mr. <laughs> Potter. <laughs> Ooh, good accent, buddy. <laughs> so, I want to talk for just a second around, around like, why, like, where did this come from? Why were they said to be shrieking plants? Do they actually make a noise? Yeah, do they? I've never dug up a mandrake. <laughs> Neither have I, but they do not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is almost disappointing, right? Yeah, it almost is. I, I uh, kind of wanted it to, like, make a weird little, like, whistle when it was pulled out or something. But nope. Turns out, doesn't make a noise. But it was said to make a noise for a couple of reasons. And there's a lot of, like, like... He said, she said here. So I think we both read the story of it was made popular by witches that the mandrakes shrieked when you pulled them from the ground to protect the plants from being over harvested by people who didn't know what they were doing, more importantly, and really protect their own livelihoods as well. I did read that version. What's the other one, though? So the other one that I read links back to the Christianity side of things ah. and that the popularity of Mandrake really hit its prime just as the church was really taking a hold of its seat of power in, uh, in the Mediterranean European countries. And the church said that it screamed being full of demons. And if you were to like hear this, you would be possessed by a demon. Therefore, do not play with mandrake as a way to say fuck you witches <laughs> <laughs> man some people will come up with anything won't they? <laughs> but on both sides of that they were correct in one thing that mandrake is highly toxic in all forms and varieties so you really have to know what you're doing with it to be able to use it properly and it's not it's not something you want to fuck around with. It's it's straight up not smokable. It is <laughs> like I'm just. It's so toxic that that's one of those like let's just put it out there. It is not smokable. Don't fucking smoke this one. It will kill you. But there are ways to to harvest it safely and to use it if you know where to look for it. Okay, I I do have to ask though because people used to think that this thing was shrieking, but clearly people would still like try to get it right? right so how did they go about digging up this mandrake if it if it's gonna shriek at them and like <laughs> blow out their eardrums and make their brains bleed okay so 
You'd wait until a moonlit night. Oh. Specifically, under the light of the moon. After appropriate prayer and rituals, you would bring with you a black dog, specifically black. Oh. And you would tie a cord to either the tail of a happy wagging dog or the neck of the dog, but somehow attached to the dog. And then you would get this dog, the other part of the cord, attached to the mandrake plant. And get the dog all excited. I read two different versions. One is that you move yourself away from the dog and call the demon dog to you. Oh. <laughs> and uh, as you do this, it will like wag its tail and uproot the plant. Thus, removing you from the proximity of the shrieks, but possibly infesting the dog with the demon and the dark energy spirits that live in the mandrake root, causing it to shriek. Yikes, dude. The second way that it is potentially attached to this dog is much more visceral. So if this is going to bother animal lovers, sorry, Lindsay, uh, maybe like, I don't know, stick your fingers in your ear for the next 30 seconds. <laughs> but the other way was to essentially attach a... Uh, attach a noose around the dog and then give it treats and lure it away from the plant to the point that it would strangle itself as it removed the plant from <gasps> the ground. And thus, you would have sacrificed the dog to appease the demons that are escaping by shrieking when the mandrake plant is pulled from the ground. Holy shit. Above all, plug your ears with candle wax, which was usually a tallow or beeswax candle. So it's a soft wax to avoid ever hearing any sort of shriek. Because if you heard it shriek, it would quite literally, Indiana Jones style, melt your face. It would instantly kill you or drive you mad to hear the shriek. You know who also used wax in their ears in a story? Odys Odysseus used wax to plug his and his crew's ears when they were like going past the sirens. Oh, must have been, yeah, like just a popular little earplug. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, they were fucking <laughs> sacrificing dogs to appease the evil dark spirits that lived in the shrieking mandrakes. That makes me really sad yeah. for the dogs. Yeah, of course it does. It's Aww. horrifying. It's horrible. But that's how you safely harvest a mandrake. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> or, you know, you could just wear gloves and dig it up. <laughs> <laughs> now we both read an interesting little bit about where it grows yeah i mean i read a few different like ideas about where it grows and why it grows and where it's come from for sure it, it's it, it's really interesting actually that like different things that that people throughout time and history and different cultures have decided this is where it comes from my favorite is, and, and you prob probably have a little bit more on this than I do, but it, it, it was said to grow from the dripping blood and semen of a hanged man. I like that as this man was hanging, he was also coming. Right? He was ejaculating <laughs> as he was hanging. I've, I, I don't know, maybe it 
maybe it happens. I don't yeah, know. Maybe like a little drip. I don't know. I don't really like, I mean, I know how wieners work, but I, <laughs> I've never had one. So I don't know what the drip, like when does the drip happen? Or it I, just happens. I don't know. I don't know. But. Is he not wearing undies? <laughs> well, in olden times, probably not. <laughs> but I get why they think blood and semen being linked so closely to fertility. And so you need like blood is a common sacrifice, a common atonement, a common like here's a whole body spirit kind of thing. But semen is is needed for fertility. So if it's the blood of blood and semen of an individual, maybe that's why like got ladies pregnant. If you put it under your pillow. Yeah, dude, that actually makes total sense. So. I had read something similar, not with the semen part, <laughs> but uh, very, uh, very much in that same vein of um, the church gaining power. There was a book that I read, um, pieces of the Encyclopedia of Witches, Witchcraft, and Wicca by Rosemary Ellen Gilly. And there's a whole section in this book that discusses Mandrake. And specifically, it was shared that... Uh, the church in medieval times said that witches harvested mandrake from beneath gallow trees. And gallow trees were where um, unrepentant criminals were hung from. So it grew beneath these trees from the blood of unrepentant criminals, where witches would then gather it, wrap it in silk or velvet, wash it in wine, and feed it with stolen communion wafers. Wow. <laughs> and thus it's linked to being a satanic plant. <laughs> <laughs> How do you steal communion wafers? <laughs> like, aren't they locked away? I don't, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I tr I've taken communion a couple of times with a wafer and I have no idea. I mean, the my experience, the priest just like puts it on your tongue. So I've never taken communion because <laughs> I'm... I have my sins have not been forgiven. <laughs> Just roll around in them. It's fine. <laughs> really embrace it. <laughs> but yeah, they grow like it grows from the blood of evil, unrepentant individuals. You know who else's blood it grows from? Or supposedly? No. Prometheus. Ooh. Prometheus was a titan. Ooh. In Greek mythology. Give me some of that good Greek mythology. Dude, the Greeks actually really love this plant. And I have other stuff uh, like after this about the Greeks that we'll probably get into. But I really liked this. So the story goes, Zeus really didn't like humans. He was like, fuck you humans. You fucking suck. And, but Prometheus <laughs> really liked them. Prometheus was like, you guys are cool. You're my boys. Fist bump. Boys and, <laughs> boys and gals. Fist bump. Yeah. So... So Zeus was like, I'm going to take them all out. And Prometheus was like, no, no, no. Let's have a feast where we can, all, we can all like argue about this. So they have this feast. And Prometheus gives all of the best parts of the feast to the humans. And he gives the shittiest parts of the feast to Zeus. Oh, no. And, and Zeus is pissed yeah, was because of say. that. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, fuck you guys. And he takes fire away from the humans because of that. Now Prometheus was like, middle finger Zeus and he steals the fire back from Zeus for the humans so now Zeus is pissed again that Prometheus stole the fire back so he banishes Prometheus to Mount Caucasus where he he binds him with inescapable bonds and he fastens him to like a pole or, so, or a column or something like that 
So Prometheus is fastened to this column, and Zeus sends a giant eagle out to eat him. And the eagle oh, goes, shit. yeah, the e- and the eagle is eating his liver. I don't know why specifically the liver, but the liver Delicious. is keeps like growing back as fast as the eagle can eat it. Because he's a titan or because this is an awesome story? I think it has more to do with that the the, the liver is like self healing. Oh, cool! More yeah, so totally. Than anything, but from the blood that that is falling from his liver as this eagle is attacking it, the mandrake grows. So it's also known as the plant of Prometheus. That is dope. The Greeks have the best stories. They do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, it is, as you said, it's like super popular, not just in Greek mythology, but actually as a medicinal plant. The Greeks were one of the first uh, civilizations or cultures to use mandrake as true medicine. And in the first century, there was a Greek physician who, I, I didn't get a name, uh, but they there were records kept of his like manuscripts or medicinal whatevers. Uh, prescriptions i guess and uh it was written that a cup of mandrake uh mandrake wine i think is what they called it so it was mandrake boiled in wine you take a cup of that and it was used as an anesthetic to perform medical procedures oh and specifically this doctor also wrote uh like as a footnote after that be careful not to give more than a cup or death will result <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Pliny uh, also used it and uh, as, a, as an anesthetic before operations, except he would give it to patients uh, to chew. Oh, So okay. you give them a little, a little piece and you chew on it. And it truly does have um, narcotic alkaloids in it. And it w- can make you very sleepy. Uh, it will knock you out. And if you take too much, it will fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so scary. I'd be really interested to like take a class learning a little bit more about poisonous plants and learning like how to use them correctly so that you can use them for their benefits but also not die. Yeah, uh, totally. Because like any medicine, too much will kill you. Like too much vitamin yeah. K will kill you, but yeah. like, you know, eating some vegetables doesn't sort of thing. It's very much the same with with mandrake and, you know, it could be used and it was one of the yeah, one of the first anesthetics. Super cool. Do you have another Greek story? I do. I have a couple more Greek right, stories. Lay it on me. All right. So you mentioned mullen earlier, and it made me go, because <gasps> <laughs> this next, this is a very like short little thing, but it does talk about mullen. So, I, I and I did mention Odysseus earlier. So in the Odyssey, Homer's The Odyssey is epic. Circe grows it in her garden and it's it's associated with Circe because of its soporific qualities right so Circe is an enchantress and she she's trying to enchant Odysseus and she's like fucking with him and Odysseus uses Mullen to protect himself from her oh yeah so I thought that was a cute little thing there's another story that comes from the Orphic Argonautica, or Jason and the Argonauts. Ah, dope! (laughs) Where Medea, who is a, she's a priestess of Hecate, and she's known as a witch, she rubs some of the mandrake onto Jason's armor to make him invincible in his search for the Golden Fleece. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I've also decided my next D&D character is going to be named Medea Mangora. Because <laughs> how a, fucking cool. It's a great name. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great name. So I do want to touch a little bit more on some of the other um, like medicinal and, and cunning folk uses and folklore uses of Mandrake. Because... There were some, like, and still are, um, some interesting uses for mandrake in medicine. Probably not used as much anymore. And actually, you should probably check where you live. It is illegal to grow or import in some countries. Not in the U.S., but oh. uh, but in some countries, it's, you know, frowned upon. But uh, apparently, one of the, like, original uses for the leaves, which we haven't really talked about because it is mostly focused on the root. But I did want to mention the leaves part. Because apparently if you boiled them in milk, you can make a poultice for ulcers, for like skin ulcers. Oh. And I thought that was just really cool. It was like a cooling ointment because of that like anesthetic properties, it would sort of numb the, the ulcers. But you had to like boil it in milk. And milk is often seen as like this purifying agent. So Right. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That is really cool. Um, and then... One more, I'm going back to the demon possession. <laughs> uh, it was often thought in folk medicine that to weigh three pennies worth of mandrakes, and I'm not sure if it was three pennies in terms of dollar amount or in terms of equal weight. I'm thinking equal weight, but three pennies worth of mandrake in a glass of warm water, drink as a tea to rid yourself of demon possession. Oh. I mean that's really good to know. I there there I feel like there could be a time where I am possessed by a demon. And so I hope if I am <laughs> that you remember this and you try it. That one uh came from the doctors of King Henry the Eighth. Oh. He was our boy <laughs> old Henry the <VIII>, Eighth. <laughs> A big believer in folk medicine and cunning folk and witchcraft folklore shit. And uh, he was a big, like, a big supporter and believer in the healing properties and the magical uses of Mandrake. That's so weird to me because he was such a dick. He was a dick, but he was almost single-handedly um, responsible for the popularization of Mandrake charms or amulets in, uh, in England. Ooh, you know who uh, w supposedly used Mandrake as, like, sort of an amulet was King Solomon. Ooh, cool. Yeah, he had this, like, ring that was supposed to be this big ring of power, and it was it was very powerful, and it was, like, super protecti pro protective of him or whatever, whatever it did. But he would put Mandrake root in it, and it was supposedly used to protect him from the djinn. Oh, nice. Well, it was that's a very popular thing is to take the mandrake root and specifically dry it over a, uh, a fire, slowly rotating over a fire built with verivin leaves. Oh. That's how you get the most power. But you then take this dried root and you carve it into different shapes depending on what it is that you want it to do. Bring you wealth, bring you power, bring you fertility. And you either wear it, carry it in your pocket, carry it in a spell bag, um, that sort of thing. But yeah, during King Henry VIII's time, it was so popular that it was hard to find actual mandrake. And maybe they had a lack of black dogs at that point. I don't know. But people started actually uh, counterfeiting mandrake. And using the white Byrony instead. So con artists would get this like 
much easier to get, much less expensive, but looks the same, white Byrony, and do the same thing and sell you a fake, like, a fake Mandrake amulet. And I love that it was, like, charlatan magic for charlatan magic. <laughs> tricky, tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really enjoying that Henry VIII is coming up in our past two episodes, too. Yeah, me too. And both, <laughs> uh, both plants that their, their roots or their rhizomes kind of resemble people. Yep. Yeah, there's a whole science, 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 <laughs> pseudoscience around that, as you mentioned. And I think we're going to have to do a future episode yeah. around the magic of the power of plants that look like people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the magical vein, why don't we take a break and come on back with a really cool spell that has to deal with Mandrake? Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. Coolio. Sweet. See you soon, witches. Welcome back. Yeah. We are ready to talk about a spell. Yeah. Woo. We totally are. Sweet. <laughs> Go for it, Lindsay. I found this really fun spell in a book that I just got. And I am i haven't gotten like super deep into the book, but I actually really like the book. And I want to give the book a shout out because it's super, super cool. Sweet. It is called The Herbal Lore of Wise Women and Wart Cunners by Wolf D. Storl. And it has, like, a bunch of stuff about different plants in there. It has a bunch of, like, magical uses and stuff. And I really recommend it for reading, even though I haven't, like, totally dived deep into it. But it's super cool. And I really like the spell. Awesome. So the spell itself comes from a 15th century German manuscript. And it's to be used against mean husbands. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Sweet! I was like... Well, that's something doing clue. <laughs> Fun. Awesome. <laughs> Fun. So the spell is supposed to be whispered to a mandrake group. Ooh. And it goes a little something like this. Thou good mandrake, in a sad mood I call upon you to force my man so mean never more to hurt me. And that's it. Aww. You just whisper that to the mandrake group. And then, and then the mandrake will take that power and and manifest it for I, you. I, I guess, yeah. I hope, I hope so. I hope it does something. Yeah. I, well, I so this is something we didn't touch upon, but I did get the feeling I've been exploring the options of how to grow a mandrake, and it's not easy. And there's several people that are really proficient in it. Uh, that I was, you know, following their websites or their Instagrams and reading, you know, articles that they had written. And one thing that they had in common is they tend to have one special sorcerer's plant sort of a like this is the plant you've bonded with this is your mandrake and they would like some of them will like dig it up once a year on halloween to like give it a wine and blood bath and they'll speak to it and and i think that maybe that's where that comes from is like it's supposed to be almost like you're a plant familiar that's super cool yeah i thought it was really cool it's so cool i've ordered myself Three mandrake seeds. Yay! <laughs> I wanted to get a baby plant, but I didn't. I didn't get in in time. I I missed it by like 
an hour, basically, on this, like, bid to get a baby mandrake plant. But I did order three mandrake seeds, and it will apparently come with detailed instructions on how to grow them. They are mandrake officinalis, so uh, I am excited to see if I can get them to sprout. I bet you can. Grow them in little pots inside because it's too cold for them in the New England winter to uh, to be outside. But I'll have to name them. <gasps> I'm going to wait for them to actually sprout. And the, the biggest, strongest one or the one that, like, I don't know. I'll just know it. Uh, if, if they sprout and I feel like I've bonded with one of them over the others, then that will be my mandrake. I will name it. And I'll probably give the other two away, but Aww. or well, hopefully all three sprout. But yeah, I'll keep you informed of my mandrake journey. I'm so excited for you. And I'll whisper to it. <laughs> I don't have a mean husband, you but don't have a mean husband. <laughs> but I'll still whisper things to it. <laughs> It'll be awesome. <laughs> Sweet. Well, that was our episode on mandrake. And that was that was super fun to read about and research. And like we said at the top of the episode, there's so much about this plant that is out there. So if you've got a favorite story or bit of information around man, uh, mandrake or a little bit of folklore that we didn't cover, send us a link, drop us a line, like share a resource that you're like, hey, but what about this? Uh, you know, we can always circle back to it in future episodes and do like a mandrake round too. Yeah, I would totally be into a mandrake round too. Sweet. So drop us a line, 5C2P pod at Instagram or 5C2P pod at uh, Gmail and give us a like, share, follow. But most importantly, send us your thoughts on mandrake and, and any little stories you have. Totally. Until next week, remember no pervs, no Nazis. Dude, totally. Fuck Trump. <laughs> <laughs>